Hello, and thank you for joining us on this week's episode of Raising OKC Kids. August is Pediatric Optometry Month, and here to talk to us today about our kids' eyesight is Dr. Kim Hefner, the 2023 Family Favorites winner in the category of eye care provider. Welcome, Dr. Hefner. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Excited I'm so glad you're here. Yes, and let's start with some introductions on you. So Dr. Kim Hefner received her Doctor of Optometry degree from Northeastern State University, Oklahoma College of Optometry, and her Bachelor of Science degree in business from Oklahoma City University. She then completed her training with an emphasis in ocular disease at Hummel Eye Associates and the Vision Education Foundation in Oklahoma City where she worked closely with corneal specialists and cataract surgeons in secondary and tertiary eye care settings. Additionally, she is a clinician at the Oklahoma Medical Research Foundation's Sjogren's Clinic, where she provides diagnosis, treatment, and clinical assistance in the research of Sjogren's, a chronic autoimmune disease. She is the state of Oklahoma's spokesperson Person for Infant C program, a national program designed to educate parents on the importance of routine eye care exams for infants and prevent undiagnosed eye health problems by performing free eye exams for children under 12 months of age. She is a frequent lecturer on the diagnosis and treatment of dry eye disease, as well as the Infant C program. Dr. Hefner has served on the board of directors of Prevent Blindness Oklahoma, on Oklahoma City University's Alumni Board of Directors, and the board of directors for the Oklahoma Association of Optomic Physicians. We are so happy to have you here today, Dr. Hefner, and I'd love to open up our discussion by hearing more from you about your own journey in eye care, why you're passionate about this area, and truly what is the why behind your life's work. Okay, well, thank you for that wonderful introduction. <laughs> Appreciate that very much. Um, I guess I would start by just saying uh, my 32 years in practice have gone really fast. Uh, it seems like a big number when I say it out loud. Um, and I think it's because I love um, helping people is um, maybe why this profession feeds my soul, because it's something I get to do every day. Um, in the beginning of my career, it was, um, let's say, like the first 10 years, as you mentioned, when I worked at the specialty clinic in Oklahoma City, um, we mostly um, treated patients with ocular disease, cataract surgery, that sort of thing. So that really helped further my development in um, that realm, which I'm, I do love. It's challenging and it's uh, something you see something new and different every day with it. Um, and then as time went on, I acquired three different optometric practices, um, mostly from um, older doctors who were retiring. And then eventually um, I ended up with all three of them under the same roof in Northwest Oklahoma City. So it's been a fun journey. Um, I think uh, looking back, there's probably two big events that happened to me after I'd already started my career that um, got me more excited and passionate about working with children. And that was something that happened with my own daughter, believe it or not, when she was in second grade, found out she had double vision and her mother being an eye doctor hadn't been checking her own children. So, you know, the mom guilt, I have a lot of that still. <laughs> so I'm able to help people through that very well. And then the second big event actually came from um, President Jimmy Carter. In the early 2000s, he was a guest speaker at one of our national conferences, and he actually challenged our profession uh, to become better physicians because of what happened with his own granddaughter. 
she apparently had a lazy eye and like at age 12 and no one had detected it. And so the devastation their family, you know, had from that was, was a big moment for them. And, and I'll talk more about the infancy program later, but that was, that came from President Carter early in my career as well. Well, those are two very impactful events, I'd say, very much, yes. as, you know, in your own home, like you mentioned in the mom guilt, I'm sure so many of our listeners relate to that on many levels. Um, yes. Yeah, that is very interesting to hear about, and I appreciate you sharing that with us. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, let's start out with how would you tell if your child is having difficulty with their sight at an early age? You know, you mentioned lazy eye, you mentioned double vision, but what mm-hmm. are those telltale signs that we as parents should be looking for? Mm-hmm. Yes, that is a great question. Um, I think it's real important for parents to know, like you just said, that um, you may not know that there's anything. There may not be signs and symptoms. Um, just for example, like with my own daughter, she wore her bangs like over one eye to help her not see double, but oh. otherwise there was no communication about that so you those are hard that's that was hard for even for me being in the profession I didn't pick up on that um the but most commonly those are rare the most common signs are going to be things like um probably squinting would be the big one you know pointing at objects and you see your child squint uh rubbing the eyes that um is a good sign of, of needing a prescription um, and turning real cautiously if they um, if you see an eye turn in out up or down if, especially after the if the child's tired that may um, be more obvious um, then headaches like at the end of the s- school day usually after they've been you know forced to maybe read or look at a computer all day headaches will manifest usually by noon or by the end of the day so kind of be um, uh, watchful for that and then the other thing that a lot of people just of blame on oh it's just my my child being clumsy it's the it's a boy thing you know you'll hear things like that but really clumsiness is you know a sign maybe of poor depth perception so don't write that off too fast so those are the most obvious ones I think that I can think of interesting I appreciate Uh that because you even Mm -hmm. as you're listing it off I'm sure many of the listeners are like me where I'm kind of checking the boxes I'm gonna think (laughs) twice about you know next time my child is tripping five times in five minutes and Mm -hmm. that is not normal (laughs) yes I I think I needed to hear this podcast (laughs) so I know we've all had the experience of being at the pediatrician's office or maybe even sometimes at Mm -hmm. school and um, we've been asked to read a chart we've seen our child Mm -hmm. engaging in that way what does this catch and what does this not catch and um, as we're talking about depth perception I'd love to kind of talk about those differences between nearsighted tests and farsighted tests. Okay. Okay. Well, visual acuity is actually what the um, eye chart measures. Um, so it's really good. And my, basically it's just how small you can see an object far away. So with that being said, nearsightedness is very easy to detect, but farsightedness, not so much. Um, and just checking the acuity on an eye chart is not really considered an eye exam, a comprehensive eye exam. So with that, when, you know, we look externally, internally, as well as, you know, checking for prescriptions, that sort of thing. So you can be 2020 and, you know, on an eye exam and still have severe end-stage glaucoma. So it's kind of a, a misnomer for sure. You can't just go by that. Um, 
Um, and then, so basically with nearsightedness, um, you're going to see near better than you do far away. So you're going to probably be really good at sight reading, but not so good at seeing the board at school. Uh, farsightedness would be that you see far away better than you see it near. So um, details like on a TV or looking at small scores while watching a, a sporting event, those are going to be fine. But close up reading your tablet, a book, um, more commonly get headaches, that sort of thing. That's a farsighted person. Um, I think it's very confusing how they named it. I always thought it should be the opposite of what it is. But hopefully that helps explain. Absolutely. Yeah. And some of the squinting, um, I feel like I find myself even while I'm talking to you, I, I think just because I'm <laughs> hyper aware of everything, I'm kind of squinting at some things. So, but those are, I mean, those are nuances that we need to be watching out for in our kids because if right. they've grown up with their eyes, they think that that's normal. So those are things that we as parents maybe need to say, is that normal? Is that just a weird, you know, habit or is there a reason behind it? So I appreciate you explaining um, the difference sure. between those things. And Absolutely. Are there other common eyesight problems in kids that are just kind of routinely diagnosed? Like you mentioned earlier, a lazy eye um, mm -hmm. that may or may not be easy to detect. Right. So a lazy eye, like we talked about earlier, is not easy to, to detect, you know, by the parent or the caregiver, but very easy for us to, to diagnose just because we have, you know, we check them individually. We have automated equipment that you can't cheat on <laughs> so the you know they can't you know pretend like they can see when they can't a lot of kids either really want glasses and will try to you know get through it that way and some of them don't want them at all you know we'll, we'll cheat squint whatever it takes to get through it but anyway our equipment these days technology you can't get around it but so lazy eye is a is easy to detect for us um, typically what that means is just the eyes underdeveloped. And so maybe they might be 20, 40, but there's, you know, they're not balanced. Their eyes aren't equal. And that really is important later on in life. Um, you know, to become a pilot, you need, you know, 20, 20 vision correctable, that sort of thing. So it's important and it can be corrected to 2020 with specific lenses or training or we do have tools to, to help with lazy eye. So that, um, is, is, is very important. And I think a lot of the school screenings do a good job at picking up in those type of things too. Um, color blindness, I think is another one that is kind of hard to detect. Um, so I'll be dating myself, but I think I would wonder if the person who developed granimals when we were kids, the, the shirt had a tag with a lion and the, sh and the shorts had a line that, that way you knew your outfits went together. <laughs> Yeah, I, I know, know what you're this. talking about. Yes, uh huh. I'm pretty sure a colorblind person, because a colorblind person, you don't know. I, you know, I'm, my husband is colorblind. He said the how he knew was the rainbow. Like he couldn't see, you know, the rainbow. So ask your children next time you see a rainbow, do you see the purple? You know, blue is a real common. Red, green are real common. So it's a problem when you go to drive. You have to be able to know, you know, the stoplights because mm -hmm. it's different. You know, the Texas our stop their stoplights are horizontal. Our stoplights are vertical. So you really have to know, you know, lights, the intensity of lights. So colorblindness, you might be surprised to know that it's like 20% of males are colorblind and only about wow. 2% of females. So it's really more common than you think. And um the the nature of it is if 
So let's say, for example, my husband's colorblind. My daughter, if she has sons, one or all of them could be colorblind as well. So that's how it passes down. So it's very unusual for a female to be colorblind. Um, and then the third one would be the depth perception. That would be hard. Those are hard to detect. Um, kind of go back to that clumsy factor or maybe an adult that's never had an eye exam, see that every day, they're driving. If they bring their spouse or someone with them, I'll ask them, you know, are you, is it scary to ride with that person? Because if it, you know, they're stomping on the brakes a lot, that's what, they might have some depth perception problems. So mm -hmm. it is hard to detect, but there's clues that, you know, maybe it is an issue, but people just learn to deal with it. Your brain I, can adapt, you know, very easily, very easily. And just that clumsiness we talked about too, that's a sign of poor depth perception. And correct me if I'm wrong, but it's a muscle. So you learn to live with it for so long and maybe your other eye starts overcorrecting for the eye that's not performing at full capacity. Right. So with um, depth perception, it can be a muscle. Yes. And there's like six muscles around each eye and each eye functions, you know, by itself and, and tries to work together. But yes, your brain can definitely compensate with maybe a head tilt or a mm. forward tilt. Your body we'll figure out how to make mm. two images one or, you know, um, but there are people that function very well. Um, there are basketball players that are what we call monocular. So they just have one eye um, they develop clues around them and become very good at it. So it's not impossible, but it, you know, depending, like I said, we talk about picking a profession that could be important to electrician, you know, with being a colorblind person, that would be dangerous if that were your goal, but pilots, I think probably, you know, that's most disappointing. That's in my situation, what happened to my husband, he had um, dreams of, you know, doing that and that could not be so kind of sad. Yes. Yes. And, mm -hmm. and finding an easier way to live is certainly the goal <laughs> that can right. open more options when you can yes. just see things better. So that's, that's right. information to know for sure. Mm -hmm. when should a child that maybe doesn't exhibit any problems first be tested by an optometrist and then what can we expect during a pediatric vision assessment is there any way we can prepare our kids for an eye exam um, one that is outside of the school test where they're just reading the chart or you know what really just what can we expect as parents um, coming in for our first appointment okay so i would first say that age eight um, is a big developmental year uh, for children. And so that would probably, if at all possible, be the latest I would get checked for an ocular exam. Um, but you probably gather by now, we do have the instrumentation and the expertise to check toddlers and infants even. And so if there's anything in your family history that you know, you're worried about, or if you see like a slight eye turn or a, the pupil looks white instead of red, you know, in the photos, that sort of thing. And um, we do have, and it's definitely um, nationwide, an infant C program. And that is the uh, program that we developed after we were challenged by, doc, uh, by President Carter. And so we actually will, um, or can, we have the tools to examine we prefer them to be about nine months old, but if they're under a year old, we provide the service at no charge. And um, it's just enlightening the things that we can already tell. I mean, we will do a full dilated eye exam. The eye drops don't hurt them because their little nerve endings, um, you know, haven't developed and there's not many nerves around the cornea anyway. 
Um, so that's a, an option. Um, I just would stress sooner rather than later, especially if you you know have concerns or have the family history. As far as prepping, um, I will beg you to please bring a bottle or food if they're an infant. <laughs> Don't, you know, try to make sure they're past their nap time. We, you know, cranky babies, because it can be a lot of fun. They're very intrigued by all of our, all of our instruments. Um, and just being, you know, well-rested and maybe their own toys. It helps too. And um, toddlers, there are uh, videos online that they can watch. I think they're helpful. If you're um, a real go-getter, you can uh, practice putting eye drops, like saline drops in their eye. That's in case we need to use eye drops. Um, and then lastly, maybe just let them know we may have them read pictures or words or letters if they're, if they have that skill set. Um, and maybe shine a little flashlight in their eye. Nothing, you know, this hurts, but those are the big topics I think to prepare people. And, and, and ideally, I mean, they really sometimes look forward to it. And especially if there may be siblings going to have the eye exam at the same time, it becomes a competition who gets to sit in the big chair. <laughs> so it really is um, quite fascinating. You think it would be scary, but it's not, it's not. When my toddler's first question always is, are there shots? And so oh. when you're going to the optometrist, the answer is no. No, no shots, no needles. <laughs> Just some fun flashlights and colors. And so that, that does sound like a lot more fun. Right. We have lots of toys. I have this rotating Nemo that is the big hit. If that, if that battery ever goes out, I'm in trouble. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that does sound nice. <laughs> Well, and speaking of Nemo and other tools they use in your office, I'm sure technology is improving treatment options constantly. Um, mm -hmm. What are some of the new technologies and treatments out there for kids? So the most recent um, um, technology that we've come across is this new um, technique we have to control nearsightedness. So they are contact lenses, actually, and they're called MySight contacts. And they are to be worn during the day and then taken off at night and thrown away. So the idea in life is to slow down the progression of nearsightedness. And the way this contact lens is designed, it does that. So this is not a new um, procedure per se. We've been doing it kind of off label for many years, but now we have um, something that's been invented that has a better success rate and, you know, more confident in fitting it. Um, the youngest patient I've ever fit in contact lenses may surprise you was age five. And that was a little boy who was very excited about uh, not wearing goggles while, or the sports goggles while playing baseball. And mm -hmm. the parents were all on board. The little guy ends up learning how to put them in and out himself. It was great, wow. but that's probably, you know, not the norm, but um, it, it's possible if you've got a motivated child. Um, but if you've got a parent or a sibling that you, you know, walk around with pop bottle glasses and you look at your child and think, I don't want that for them, then this could be something that could work. Um, it's just very safe because there's no maintenance to it. There's not a lot of high risk for infections with these contact lenses. Um, and I guess the other main take home message would be that if you can slow down the progression of nearsightedness, then you're lower risk for like retinal detachments as an older person or even, you know, glaucoma, that sort of thing that have to do with the length of your eye. So very exciting, very exciting. 
That is very exciting. That is just nuts. I can't even imagine a five-year-old putting in mm -hmm. contacts, but yeah, if they're motivated, that is, I mean, that's life-changing. Right. It's life-changing. And these contacts you would only usually wear until probably the end of high school. So probably 18, 21 at the longest, because that's about the um, time when the eye is fully developed. So the sooner, the better that, you know, you think your child could be, um, you know, on board with it. And, and really, I think this might be a future question, but if the child is really good without having lots of reminders, brush, you know, did you brush your teeth? Did you make your bed? Did you wash your face? Did you feed the dog? You know, that's so that kid, maybe not contacts for them, <laughs> but the ones that are motivated and, um, um, and you see the need, I think it's worth a try for sure. It's good to have options, man, especially with yes. these things that make life easier. So that is just outstanding. Right. Yes. Speaking of um, contacts versus glasses, glasses for kids are so easily broken. What mm -hmm. do you have for us to pick out glasses that will be easier to maintain and keep workable in their lives? Okay. Um, so as far as the glasses, this is actually um, kind of one of my favorite part of the eye exam. I don't get to do as much anymore, but um, the, the fun part, you know, it could be the fashion part, but as far as the utility part, um, really think about like, if your child has an allergy to maybe nickel, you know, the metals, different metals, you'd definitely pick a plastic frame. Mm -hmm. Um, as far as the sizing, um, keep in mind, I have opticians that are fully trained on, on doing this and helping you through the process. But um, let's say your child has a narrow bridge, then, you know, we might want to consider nose pads to make them more comfortable, fit better. Um, the spring hinge on a frame, that's really um, a good um, thing to look for, especially to avoid damage if they fall asleep in them or can't remember to take them on and off with both hands. Um, and then your lens materials, that's another, that's probably the most important, but we're required by law to fit um, children in a polycarbonate material or a type of polycarbonate that's impact resistant. So that's easy. Um, and then you've got your options like anti-reflective coating, blue light blocking lenses, and those are going to have like built-in scratch resistant coatings, which is nice. They'll be warranted. And then obviously it protects from the blue, the harmful rays and, and light reflections. So it's a lot that goes into it actually, but like I said, we'd have the trained staff to help with um, all those. Scratch resistant, I'm hearing that's key. That's <laughs> key. For yes. that group. I mean, they let alone maybe the clumsiness related to vision, they're just <laughs> things are going to end up scratching something on their face. So that's that is awesome right. to know about those options. Mm -hmm. And for kids who play sports, what kind of corrective and protective eyewear should they be wearing? I know you'd mentioned goggles earlier, um, mm -hmm. but. And we talked about contacts and those options there, but, but talk about maybe what's best for kids who are very active. Okay. Yeah. I would say the prescription goggles um, are a great place to start because they will have the polycarbonate lens. They, you know, and they give good peripheral vision, maybe not as good as contact lenses would, but, um, and they, they're going to stay on the face, not fall off, um, you know, when they're running and jumping. Um, they will have the polycarbonate um, like I said, so they're safe if they were to get hit in the face with a ball. Um, and then, yeah, contact lenses for sure, especially if they have all those, um, if they're a responsible kid and, and know, and they're able to 
be able to take them in and out by themselves, especially if they get left, you know, at the baseball diamond and they need to get the contact out if dirt or something gets in the eye. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think just what maybe the contacts, you know, talking about that a little bit more, it just maybe gives them a little bit more sense of freedom. Um, and then maybe eliminates ease of even the cost of breakage of eyewear. <laughs> Goggles probably won't break as easy as just regular eyewear, but um, you have to always think about the cost too. Right, right. It, it can all add up. So speaking of our active kids and, and things mm-hmm. that can go wrong, um, talk about eye emergencies as it relates to accidents, maybe sports injuries, maybe just, you know, around the house type injuries. What are some of the most common that you see and how mm-hmm. should parents know if we should see our pediatrician, if we should go to an optometrist like yourself or go to the hospital? Okay. Um, so what would classify as an eye emergency, in my opinion, would just be eye pain, redness, um, extreme light sensitivity would be something, um, maybe all of a sudden in, end up with a blurry vision, um, maybe pup- one pupil is bigger than the other, that would be an emergency. Just anything new or off um, could be considered an emergency. Um, I would, you know, I've seen so many interesting things over my career. Um, the tricky part with the emergency rooms are that a lot of times they aren't equipped with microscopes or what we call a slit lamp in our office. And so they'll have these large blue lamps that, so it's really hard sometimes for them to distinguish between an abrasion versus an ulcer. And so those are two, you know, two different thing. One's treated with an antibiotic and the other one, you know, maybe a bandage contact lens. So that is tricky for them. So that would be a reason I think to call the optometrist. Um, pediatricians, I think, you know, with telemedicine these days, it helps and it makes it easier for all of us being physicians because we can somewhat, you know, assess the external part. And, and if we get about 15 questions, we could probably figure out, you know, if it's a true emergency. So I'd say take advantage of the telemedicine if you can first, uh, maybe before going to the emergency room, because that's an expensive big chunk of time out of your day um but we prefer you come to us initially and then if it's something out of our scope then you know we'll make the referral but with sports injuries especially getting hit with balls that sort of thing i think sooner rather than later and interesting fact is that if you get hit flush in the eye you may not have anything real obvious initially like a retinal detachment floaters that sort of thing but over two years time, you know, the fluid can build up in the eye and then there's a problem. And so it's hard to correlate that from your previous injury. So I say, get it checked early, get a baseline, what the inside of the eye looks like. And then we know, you know, what to watch for. Um, I think too, the other most common thing are just scratches on the eye. Um, I, you know, those are probably the most common and you don't want to let those go either because, the the surface of the eye has like five layers so if you have a deep scratch then there it's not going to heal back properly unless it has maybe coverage for 24 48 hours like a bandage contact lens is what we call them and if it's not healed properly what can happen if you get in a real dry eye situation on an airplane such for example you wake up if you fall asleep and that can that top layer actually can peel back off because it never you know most solid um healed the collagen never really healed sealed 
properly. So don't take those little abrasions too lightly because it can be an ongoing <laughs> problem, unfortunately. So does that answer the question? I was kind of rambling. <laughs> no, absolutely. It's okay. so much to think about. And like, you, mentioned, you know, you blink a couple of times and okay, I'm fine. And you just kind of shake right. it off. But it's right. good to think about how they can affect your eyes long term. And speaking right. of scratches, you know, us with little kids at home, I don't know many mm -hmm. people who haven't had some kind of like baby fingernail accident or even with pets or something, you know, something always can go wrong when you're on right. the floor with your kids. So um, yeah, yes. not taking those lightly and getting them checked out and treated early is is so good to hear that from an expert that we're not overreacting <laughs> to these eye, no. eye issues so um yeah getting it looked at sounds like the best way to go when in doubt just just get it looked at right i think so too so what are the typical costs of an eye exam for our kids and and maybe glasses if you need them what kind of things can we prepare for financially in that regard and do you have any tips that can help with some of those costs as well okay um so you know that varies a lot with insurance a lot of um people now have the hsa accounts which can go towards eyewear so that's helpful and um, a lot of people have vision plans and that usually i would consider it more like a not like an insurance but a, like a discount plan so that can go a lot towards it but just kind of give you like a general idea of what things cost and it, it does vary across the the state but um, as far as our, in our clinic, if you came in for comprehensive, what we call complete eye exam, we're going to check for glaucoma, cataracts, we're going to look externally, internally, get your glasses, prescription, contacts if you need it. We will charge $149 for that um, procedure. And then we have additional offering. One additional thing, if you did not want to be dilated, it's possible we could do this photograph of your eye. And that could, in some instances, take the place of dilation unless you have a diseased eye. And that we charge $39 for. So a lot of people opt for that. Um, and then um, as far as like frames, lenses, just your eyewear, that varies, you know, lots of options on any budget really. But we have, um, for people with no insurance, we offer a 30% discount for like self-paying patients. Uh, we have... Um, like a clearance section, if you will, for frames that are discontinued, we offer 60% off of those. And then we also do those package deals like you hear about, uh, frame and lens, and those start like 99. So it's pretty affordable if you think about it, even if you don't have the vision care plans. Um, and then I guess the other big is that we don't have to charge tax because we're medical. And so that saves another few percentage points too. So I think that's, that's why I would say just kind of be prepared for that. But um, yeah, does that answer your question? Absolutely. Yes. And the, okay, the tax is good. kind of a nice little bonus too. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so what can happen if vision challenges are left unattended or unassisted? We talked about some of the abrasion issues um, and mm -hmm. some of the layers of the eye, but can vision right. change over time or correct itself over time? You know, what, what can we be thinking about in that regard? Okay. So that's kind of a loaded question because yes, vision can change, usually not for the better, but um, like I said, the brain is very adaptable. So if you have like the double vision, um, your brain can literally, you know, fix that. Um, usually like we talked about with a head tilt, something like that. So early intervention is best if you can, 
you know, not have to retrain your brain. <laughs> uh, we talked about the corneal abrasion getting worse, you know, long-term effects. The other two things I probably would mention would be glaucoma and retinal detachment. Glaucoma, you can usually develops first like in one eye and it's just like in the corner. Um, you're not going to notice it and, you know, undetected, you're going to lose your entire peripheral vision from both eyes. So devastating. Um, the retinal detachment, like I talked about earlier, sports injury, um, the, the inside tissue of the eyes, like wallpaper, and there's 10 layers to it. If it starts to peel off from an injury and it peels all the way off onto a certain part of the eye, then we can't laser it back on. So mm -hmm. that can be devastating as well. So that you got to, that's why I think injuries need to be seen sooner rather than later. So that doesn't happen. Um, and then I just probably need to throw in there about, you know, about age 43, things start happening up close. And so you can make your font bigger <laughs> and things look easier to see, but that is just progressively going to get worse as well. Um, so, you know, the sooner you want to decrease eye fatigue and that sort of thing, when the over-the-counter glasses don't work anymore, then prescription glasses are probably neat, but those are the kind of things that are just progressive. So they're not going to go away by any means. So mm -hmm. unfortunately, Yes, yes. And it's important to take care of it because it, everything we right. do involves our vision. So taking care right. of it really sounds like the key. And, and then watching out for it for our kids too, because they were mm -hmm. born with the eyes they have. They might be used to some, some you know, vision issues that are correctable mm -hmm. from the sounds of it. So, right. Dr. Hefter, we have so appreciated your time today. I wonder if there's just one thing that parents should take away from our discussion today. What, what do you think that one thought would be? So I guess I would say that um, the takeaway would be think about your child's eye health as um, something to investigate early in life because by checking their eyes and, and taking a good look, um, we can also pick up on other um, health issues, um, the, you know, the eyes connected to the brain and the heart. And with our technology, we're able to, um, really determine a lot about the human body. So, um, it's just interesting how much information and knowledge you can gain from just a basic eye exam and, and also just the success of your child. You want them to be on the, on a level playing field with other children is, especially as competitive as the world has become. I mean, you just don't want them to be behind in reading or um, if, if they like to read and want to read, then we know that they can and they're not struggling from some unknown obstacle that's not obvious to us. So that would be my takeaway. I agree. And I am so glad we talked today. I've got little ones in my house and I'm going to be taking so many of these tips you shared with us today. And I know our <laughs> listeners will as, will as well. So we so appreciate you taking the time yeah. to talk with us today. Yes. Well, thanks for having me. I enjoyed it. Yes. And for those of you looking for more information on Dr. Hefner and her practice in OKC, please visit www.hefnericare.com and join us next time on Raising OKC Kids. Thank you.